Welcome to Financially Ever After, where award-winning and nationally recognized financial expert Stacy Francis will bring you savvy tips and words of wisdom on how to secure your financial future before, during, and after divorce. For 30 minutes every other week, you'll hear personal stories from women who have either faced or are currently facing this transition. In addition, you'll also soak up knowledge and inspiration from the industry's top legal, financial, residential, and mental health professionals. And now here's our host, Stacy Francis. Welcome to Financially Ever After, coming to you every other week with great content to help you make good, sound, financial, legal, and emotional decisions both during and after divorce. Today, we have two really special individuals here. Laura Israel Sinrod, who joined the staff of Her Justice many years ago, back in September 2011, as a senior staff attorney. She trains mentors and pro bono attorneys, providing legal assistance and representation to women served by Her Justice in the area of both family and matrimonial law. She works primarily with the survivors of domestic violence who reside or have cases in the Bronx. Rachel Brunstein is also at Her Justice, and she joined roughly about the same time. She takes a lead role on various policy matters that concern economic justice for low-income women and defends the rights of domestic violence survivors as well as helping them have access to the court and access to justice. What's interesting about these two amazing ladies is that they have a lot in common. Um, They both were at the Brooklyn Law School. They both actually both were at Freed Frank Harris Shriver and Jacobson. Um, And with that, over time ended up both ending up at her justice uh, also talked about their kids being similar ages and so the two of you are powerhouses not only as as moms but also for the work that you're you're doing so thank you for being here thank you for having us and rachel do you want to talk a little bit about um her justice and who you serve who typically would come and need your your guidance and your help? Sure. So Her Justice is a 25-year-old not-for-profit organization in New York City. We serve women living in poverty in the areas of family law, matrimonial, and immigration. As you mentioned, we have a strong expertise in domestic violence because our clients, about 80% of them, are survivors. Uh, but most of our clients come to us because they need legal information, legal assistance, or representation in their their legal matters. We have a special model at Her Justice, which we call a pro bono first model. That means that we work with about 80 of the top law firms in your city and corporations, and we train and mentor their attorneys to provide free representation to our clients. So with a small staff of about 13 lawyers, six of whom focus on matrimonial and family issues, we're able to mentor last year over 1,800 legal volunteers and help over 9,000 women and their children. That's, um, talk about, you know, paying it forward. Um, 
the the people who are typically volunteering, they're working at other corporations, um, you know, other legal practices, and volunteering to work with one person, or are they consultant? How does that work? Um, so if a client's coming to you, is, is she going to work with the same person through her whole case, or is it going to be someone just kind of coming in and out? So our model is founded on this sort of leverage of the talents and resources at law firms, primarily, and sometimes corporations as well. And the idea is that once a client reaches her justice, either through our legal helpline on Thursdays or at one of the family justice centers around the city, we assess her legal needs. And if it's if she has an issue that we think we can find her help for, we then ask our legal volunteers at the law firm. So if a law firm signs up to represent one of our clients pro bono in a custody case, that law firm will stay with her the life of the case. We provide the substantive training and mentoring. So we're acting like consultants on the case, strategizing uh, before court appearances, helping the client navigate the process as needed. We also have a social work department and can provide emotional and other support to our clients that way. That's amazing. And Laura, is it primarily New York based um, clients that you have or um, do you sometimes get questions to the helpline from people who might be from New Jersey or, or again, is it mostly New York? So we'll talk to anyone who has a case in New York or who has a jurisdictional issue that involves New York. Uh, our clients really are New York City residents, but the helpline is open to people who wouldn't necessarily qualify for a full representation in the programs. And so we do free consultations for anyone in New York State who um, has an area, a question in the area of law that we practice in. Just not everyone will get the full representation in our program. Mm -hmm. And are there other resources like Her Justice around the country? I mean, or is this very unique to, to New York? This is a really unique program. And part of why we um, are able to succeed this way is because of the volume of lawyers, frankly, here in New York City. There's no reason that a nonprofit uh, like this couldn't succeed in Chicago or um, Los Angeles or Miami or something like that. But um, as far as I know, we're the only ones doing it this way and doing uh, this work at this volume. Um, when we get callers from other states um, who don't live in New York City, we often send them to the website Law Help, which has free resources in many different civil legal um, areas. And there's a law help site specific to every state. And you can find uh, you know, resources that are close to your zip code um, and just get general information there as well. So that'd be www.lawhelp.org. Okay, www.lawhelp.org. And um, everyone listening today, uh, don't worry, we're going to put this in the show notes too for you. Um, how does someone qualify for your services? Do you have to show a financial need? Um, does it have to be a certain type of a, a circumstance? What does that What does that look like, Rachel? So we we were founded to serve women living in poverty and we primarily do serve women living in poverty, which we define 
loosely to mean about 200% of the federal poverty line. But as Laura said, we have uh, availability to answer questions for those who don't earn under that threshold. Our website, which is herjustice.org, has a lot of legal information on it, legal resource guides that we prepare and update about various topics of law, divorce, and other family law issues, for example, custody and child support, orders of protection. So we view our legal information services as broad and our eligibility for pro bono representation, as Laura said, as somewhat more narrow. Mm -hmm. And and Rachel, what do you consider as some of those top issues women in poverty face when they're going through a separation or a divorce that maybe um, wouldn't necessarily be the same issue as someone who has a, a million dollar equitable distribution that they're walking away with? So I think for women living in poverty, the margins are already so thin that a lot of issues that face that higher earners face are that much more dramatic for our clients. So there are issues like now our clients are living on their own for our clients who may have fled an abusive relationship. It may be the first time that they're establishing a home on their own. Many of our clients who are victims of domestic violence have suffered financial abuse, by which I mean isolation around the finances, the inability to work because of pressure from the abusive partner not to. Therefore, there are no skills that have been built up over the years of, let's say, a lengthy marriage. So our clients are often saying to us, I don't know what there is in this marriage. I don't know what he earned. I don't even know what he was doing for work sometimes. So I think that for poor people who are seeking our help, because, again, the margins are so thin, there's a compounding of other issues like financial illiteracy that our clients can face. Mm -hmm. And those financial issues also bleed into the custody and parenting time arrangements that we negotiate for our clients, you know, because our clients, as Rachel said, have less, less flexibility. So the idea that the child is going to take a, you know, a car service between the two homes, um, yeah, it, that's not a concept, you know, for us. So yeah. everything is um, just tougher to negotiate, tougher to, um, for the family to imagine and actually execute. Um when the families living in two households. Mm -hmm. So as far as um, women who are working, let's say they're working in the family business, but they're not receiving an income. Um, and we often will see this. She's, she's helping out, um, but she receives no income. Um, Laura, what are some legal and litigation challenges that she will face? Because she's not pulling a W-2 salary or, or any any type of, of compensation? This is a really common um, issue for us. Um, we've had clients over the years who provided the down payment to get a business started or who were doing the accounting for a small family business but had no title and no salary. And, you know, I mean, the first thing I would say is that I wish more of these women had insisted on having a formal title, even if it sounded like a throwaway item or just um, a courtesy at the time. But even for their own resume building post-divorce, it would have been great if they had um, a title and you know some kind of compensation. Um, it's it's very hard to uh, prove that the that our client had a stake 
in the business. And so sometimes we work with forensic accountants to trace um, the client's investments in the business and present those at trial or in settlement negotiations. So we've often worked with forensic accountants to trace um, investments in family businesses. And um, it's, you know, it's a challenge. It's certainly not something that um, a client would ever be able to afford to do on her own. Mm -hmm. But that's another pro bono service that we do provide um, when applicable. Now talking about working, let's say she's going back to work and can't afford childcare. So grandma is watching the kids. Does that cause any, any issues as well? Rachel, what does that look like for you guys? Because it sounds like this is an issue that you, you see often. We do see it often. A lot of her justice clients, I think because their lives uh, have less of a cushion, are in that sort of revolving door of wanting to go back to work but unable to afford child care. And many of our clients don't have family or friends around. For those who do, there is often an informal kind of babysitting economy, frankly, that's happening for them. And so they might be paying grandma $100 a week because grandma needs to earn money too. And so grandma's getting the $100 a week to watch the children so that our client can go to work or find work. And there's no record of it. So it poses a litigation challenge uh, because the courts, I think, increasingly are less uh, comfortable taking testimony alone on such an issue. And one of the first things we do when we triage a her justice client for pro bono representation, and which we're doing more of in a sort of focused way, is preparing her for what are the questions that will be asked in the litigation. Let's start with the expenses that you have. If you have childcare expenses, how are you paying them? How are you recording those payments? Laura and I were talking about a client she has right now who's done an amazing job of keeping a ledger for years of any amounts she's paid to her babysitting, which puts the pro bono attorneys, Laura and a colleague, in a much stronger place to present that information to the court to get the father of those children to pay his fair share. Mm -hmm. So in many ways, her justice is focusing a lot more on getting our clients prepared for what they do know, what they can get their arms around, even if they may not know the depth and extent of the husband's business, what do they know now and how can we build the record keeping that may have been lacking before? Mm -hmm. So what I'm hearing is that keeping a record of those payments is key. And though what I do find, you can pay someone a lot less if you pay them in cash. So is that also a challenge where there's not as much of a record because it's being paid in cash. I mean, very rarely are you actually going to see someone who has a babysitter that's on payroll and they're doing, you know, paying the New York State disability and the workers comp and you have all those records. I imagine that something does not happen. It doesn't. Um, I think when given the choice, our clients are usually better off using a daycare center or some other organized provider that can, who can provide proof of enrollment and has a standard cost that the court is likely to find acceptable. But when that's not acceptable or not available, um, I actually will now, now that I saw what my client did recently, will recommend this to future clients. She literally went to an office supply store and bought um, a book of receipts like that someone would use in a small business. And she 
writes down and gets a counter signature on every child care expense that she has. And she's credible when she speaks about them now because she has these detailed records. She keeps them in her normal course of business. She does it the same way every time. So um, it's been enormously helpful. And she's, I think, also just built up a lot of credibility with the court to come in and show how responsible she's been with the family finances and providing appropriate child care. Yeah. Any other child care issues that you would say to be careful of or um, that women should should know going into a divorce and, and through the process? One thing we've been focused on is what I call the collateral consequences of being in a litigation, which is that for many of her justice clients, especially, they're missing work to go to court and they're not being paid for work because many of them are in jobs mm-hmm. where there's not an easy day off with pay and they're incurring childcare costs. And over the years, I started to hear from clients who said, because I went to court six times in my child court, child support litigation, my boss docked my hours or my pay or I got fired. And so I started looking into the issue and got pretty concerned about what were our clients' rights in those circumstances and contributed to some advocacy that, uh, that has succeeded now, which is that New York City has a paid safe leave bill law, which provides wage replacement for victims of domestic violence who take time off of work to deal with all of the life circumstances that surround their domestic violence, getting medical care, getting mental health counseling, and participating in legal proceedings, which is a big win for victims because of the fact that our proceedings in family court, in Supreme Court divorces are protracted. There are many court appearances required. And I think one of the things we're focusing on is managing expectations up front. So that if someone comes to us with a strong case to go to court, we're telling them, you will likely be in court at least a handful of times. And how are you going to prepare for that? And I can only imagine to this woman, let alone anyone, you say the word court and it's very frightening. Um, Let alone their abuser is going to be in court. Laura, how do you how do you help women face this, but then also make sure that they and their children are safe? So we're really lucky to have a social work program in-house now, and we will uh, match our clients up with our social worker and her interns to get counseling, get safety planning done. We refer people back to the Family Justice Center at times for those services. And we're lucky here in New York City, the family courts have um, special waiting areas for people who can't safely be in the, you know, in the hallway and the general space Mm -hmm. of the court with an abusive partner. And so we always encourage our clients to use those um, centers. They're run by Safe Horizon um, and they're a great, um, you know, partner of ours. So, um, you know, that's, that's one issue. We are also doing, you know, sort of routine uh, legal protections like address confidentiality in our proceedings, uh, like setting up, um, payments and exchange of children through confidential systems, um, setting up, you know, communication systems between parents that, um, you know, are safe and 
you know, provide proof if there's harassment or stalking behavior or anything like that, um, like texting or email rather than phone calls or in-person conversations. So mm-hmm. we, we do a fair amount um, of that kind of preparation. And we really want to make sure our clients are ready to get divorced, not just to live separately, but to actually engage in the legal unwinding of their marriage contract. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, getting a divorce is traumatic and awful for pretty much anyone. But when you're dealing with, you know, having dealt with physical abuse or financial abuse or emotional abuse, um, it has a, a whole nother layer um, that is beyond frightening. How do you, Rachel, when you have a woman who's come in um, really at her lowest because she's been beaten down figuratively and unfortunately, possibly uh, literally, how do you help her to stand up for her rights? I imagine it's probably easier for her to stand up for her children, but for her and making sure that she's walking away from this marriage with assets, if there are assets or ongoing support that she's entitled to. So one of the things her justice is best at is training the lawyers who are standing with our clients in court. So we put a lot of work into training lawyers, not just on the substance of legal issues that are involved in divorce, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but on empowering our clients given their circumstances. So that means really focusing on, for example, the fact that ethically lawyers uh, bend to clients' wishes in settlement Mm -hmm. and how important those moments can be with the right information for our clients to empower them to make decisions. So I I think Her Justice does uh, that the best of ways in our work with pro bono lawyers. And also when we first talk to clients, if they are in acute crisis, we are talking with them about whether now is the time to go to court. Mm -hmm. It's not always the right time when someone calls us on our helpline for them to immediately file in court. Mm -hmm. It may be that there are things in their lives that need to be stabilized. Housing is a big issue. Um, safety, mm-hmm. other preparation for what's going to come th- in in the court litigation. So we, we are thinking very uh, clearly about whether the timing is right and when the timing is right, equipping our volunteers to empower our clients to stand up for themselves. Yeah. And I think a lot of the policy work that I've been focusing on is um, to to share information between parts of the system. For example, sharing information with the child support court arm about what it looks like to have two domestic, uh, two parties who are, have been involved in domestic violence sitting three feet away from each other in a child support proceeding. Things like that, sort of bringing, bringing awareness to the plight of survivor in all parts of our system. Mm-hmm. And you know, in New York City, at around the income threshold that we work with, there is a right to court-appointed counsel for domestic violence cases, for the family offense petition, and for custody and visitation, but there's no such right on the financials and on the divorce itself. And so I think actually just by our existing, we are telling clients, we think that's wrong. We believe you deserve a lawyer and that you shouldn't have to face your 
um, former partner, possibly your former abusive partner alone. And so like, you're not crazy, you know, that when a client comes in and feels really lost and overwhelmed, we're here to say, this is overwhelming and this is too much for you to do alone. That's why we exist. Mm -hmm. So we, we were founded on that principle and that's why we believe this is a social justice issue, especially, um, to provide counsel for divorce. Mm -hmm. So Laura, think about yourself, um, you know, answering questions on the the helpline. If a woman is ready to move forward, what would you tell her to make sure she does? What does she need to do to prepare to make sure that this process is a process that will seek her through the whole legal unwinding and not find herself going back and being dependent on him? And I know there are lots of reasons, whether it's housing or economic, but what can she do to have this time be the right time for her? So one of the first things we want our clients to do is to truly just get organized. So early on in a case in New York, both parties will present a statement of net worth in the Supreme Court. And that form is available on the court website. You can download it. You can fill it out yourself without a lawyer, whether you're paying a lawyer or meeting with a pro bono lawyer. You can show up at the meeting with your draft of that document, and it'll really give you a sense of what your finances look like and what you can expect in the next chapter. And I think a great exercise for women who are in this you know, sort of phase of the end of the marriage is to look at that form and really take a stab at filling it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, print the exhibits, print the bank statements, the credit card statements, get a copy of the lease or the mortgage documents. Those are all things that will be requested of our clients by their pro bono lawyers. And if they're ready at the get-go, that's great. Mm-hmm. And another thing we've been doing with our clients more recently is having them pull safely, pull a credit report so that we can really see what's out there. Because many of our clients have discovered you know, a credit card that they forgot about or that their partner opened in their name. Um, and so that's also giving us a good you know, picture to um start the process. But I think that really looking at the forms that are uh, required early on will you know, be less mm-hmm. overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, another sort of, um, you know, maybe uh, less obvious thing to do, I think, to prepare is to go to the court and just sit in the gallery. You know, if you're thinking that you're going to have an open, um, you know, very uh, contested, litigated divorce, go sit in New York Supreme Court. It's an open courtroom. Uh, an open courthouse and see what it's like so that you can imagine airing your family issues there and decide if that's how you want to proceed. Maybe after you see that you want to do mediation or maybe you want to um, really focus more on a settlement and you know wait to file the paperwork to have a judge assigned to your case. So mm-hmm. I think that's a really good experience for people who aren't sure exactly how they want to proceed or are very nervous about the court process to just get familiar with the courtroom, the tone, how many people are there. Mm -hmm. So we're wrapping up. Um, I can't believe how fast time flies. For each of you, if you had any additional words, parting words of wisdom to women who are listening that might be in the situation or have a sister or a friend that is in the situation, um, what would you say? And and Rachel, do you want to go first? 
Sure. I, I think just the theme that we've been talking about here of being prepared so that you can manage some of the emotional nature of this process and know ahead of time what will be facing you. There are a lot of resources, ours and others, that can help you know what to expect and feel empowered to stand up for your rights as you uh, as you manage those expectations, I think is, uh, is really important in this process. And Laura, how about you? Um, I would tell anyone who's in New York in particular, please visit our website, which is herjustice.org. We have information guides uh, available on the website in every area of law that we practice in, and that's a really good place to start. Even before you call our helpline, uh, whatever income level you're at, Take a look at those guides, come up with your questions so that even if you don't qualify for our services or ultimately get assigned to a lawyer, you can have really narrowly, you know, tailored, productive uh, conversations with our lawyers during your free consultation. Um, and there's a lot of, as Rachel said, resources out there. And the best way to take advantage of them is to be organized before you access them. Mm-hmm. So um, whether it's going to your local bar association or us or you know similar agencies, knowing exactly what your question is before you access the resource is crucial. Mm-hmm. And listeners, what we'll do, we'll make sure that we get um, some more resources from Rachel and Laura to, to have on the, the website. And my understanding with Her Justice is that you have a wonderful immigration team because immigration can also be an issue through uh, divorce. Do you have clients that are using your services both for immigration and matrimonial? We do. So all of our immigration work right now is um, focused around gender-based violence. So there's a significant portion of our client base who get you know both a divorce or a order of protection or a custody order and uh, do a petition under the Violence Against Women's Act with our staff. So we're very prepared to work with women who are undocumented or who were adjusting their immigration status through their spouse and can no longer do so. Those are um, really important issues to us. My heart is so full and I can't thank you enough for for this work because you're 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 literally saving lives. And so herjustice.org will have that information in the show notes. Um, I can't thank the two of you enough for being here to put a voice to this really important issue. And if anything, more awareness is really important. I imagine that you can go to herjustice.org and donate. You absolutely can. And I always sort of joke with um, you know friends and colleagues who have been through a divorce that um, perhaps on Valentine's Day, you'd like to pay it forward to, you know, one of your sisters, um, sisters in, in life, um, honorary sisters, by making a donation um, to, you know, sort of commemorate uh, this next chapter of your life and the next chapters that um, we're helping women um, embark on. So thank you so much, Laura. Thank you so much, Rachel. And remember, donations are tax deductible, which is wonderful. So thank you for reaching out, uh, for listening, for investing in yourself in Financially Ever After. We come to you every other week with great content that you need to know to make smart decisions about your life 
your money, and everything else in between before, during, and after divorce. If you do have any questions about the finances, um, please do feel free to reach out to me and you can reach me at Stacy S-T-A-C-Y, at FrancisFinancial.com or you can reach out to us via our website at www.FrancisFinancial.com. Thank you and we'll be talking to you in two weeks.